Hello and welcome to the Tennis Menu's Daily Rolling Garros Show. Val Febo here with you. And remember, you can head to thetennismenu.com and subscribe to the annual package for just $99.90 US for over 600 tennis-specific drills to make you a better tennis coach. It's been designed by the man that sits alongside me, Mark Safoulis, and we're going to chat to him in a second. But the men's semifinals are done and dusted, and we have, well, the obvious one, which none of us picked. Novak Djokovic against Rafael Nadal. They will take on each other for a record 56th time. They just keep expanding. They've met every year on the tour since 2006, and they will meet again in a Grand Slam final. Nadal easily accounting for Diego Schwartzman. It wasn't easy. It was actually very, very close to their average time on court, which is really unbelievable. And also Novak Djokovic pushed to the brink by Stefano Tsitsipas. But we're going to chat about why these younger athletes can't go five sets with Nadal, Djokovic or Federer and why they struggle winning when it gets down to those clutch moments and what Nadal actually does to get himself over the line in these tough matchups where he will be grinded down and where he's going to have to be made to work. And we're also going to talk about the all-important women's final between Iga Swiatek and Sophie Kennan tonight. But we can't do it without these two lovely men sitting with me. We were awful with our picks yesterday, so hopefully we can provide you with a little bit more solace today. But uh, Mark Safoulis, thank you very much for joining us, the best high-performance coach in the business. Uh, thanks, Val. And what an epic night of tennis. I mean, you know, the five-setter between Tsitsipas and, and Djokovic was was incredible. Djokovic served for served for the match at 5-4 in the third set. It looked like it was going to be a straight set. It's pretty much, you know, a, a routine victory for him. And Stefanos came back, and we'll, we'll touch on that match as we go along. But um, the, the tactic behind what Djokovic did in that last sort of set and a half that uh, wore Tsitsipas down was pretty impressive. So I want to, I want to go through that a little bit more. And he executed it absolutely to perfection. And Joel Frucci uh, also joins us. Joel, how are you, mate? You, uh, you're fresh off a good night's sleep, you were telling me. So uh, you're ready to roll in. Yeah, feeling good this morning, boys. But uh, boy, do we have some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, so let's not talk about those tips. Yet. You guys are okay. You all picked Djokovic. I was the one that went for Tsitsipas. And I almost looked like an absolute genius this morning. I was up and about, couldn't sleep. Um, having some of Mark's problems and uh, just couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't get my eyes closed and put the match on at seven o'clock this morning. Watch the end of the fourth set and I'm like, oh my god, he he might actually pull this off. And well, Novak went god mode and um, just could not miss a ball in that final set. And um, Tsitsipas just had to keep with him. And as soon as Djokovic got that first break, that was it. But the scoreline there was Djokovic six three six two. 574661. It was unbelievable. Serving for the match at 5-4 in the third set, having a match point. Tsitsipas breaks. It took Djokovic another hour and 43 minutes until he saw his next match point. But what was so amazing was in this match, Tsitsipas just completely raised his level. He just raised it. Djokovic didn't dip. And Steph just said, you know what? I'm going for it. And he went for it. His level was just supreme. And he was able to go toe-to-toe with Djokovic for those two sets. But as Mark alluded to, there was something in that fifth set that was Tsitsipas undoing. And it created the fatigue that didn't allow him, and the body cramps that didn't allow him to go on and go forth with the match. So, Mark, if you care to elaborate on that, we'll uh, we'll chat more. Yeah, I wanted to touch on this because I think it's really important for uh, for us to all, I guess, understand um, the, the concept behind it. So I'm going to show you a few little stats, which I feel as though really shows a difference. And if you can see here, Djokovic is up on this side here. And 
Um, if you want to look at the drop shots, that to me was the, the clear-cut difference um, where Djokovic hits 12 backhand drop shot winners, five forehand drop shot winners. So he's got hit 17 winners and he's hit three forcing errors. So 20 off the drop shot. Now that means that Tsitsipas is having to move about 10 to 15 metres every single time he's trying to get those drop shots from the back of the court, from a, a running ball. Um, and you think about those sprints going at full tilt, sliding, he then gets to a position where he's basically sliding in through his adductors in his groin. And that's where the injury and also the fatigue did come in. And I feel like that to me was the real clincher in the end because Tsitsipas was so tired. He was so fatigued, so sore. He just could not get over the line in that fifth set. And uh, Djokovic utilized the court space really well. And I felt like that was a, a telling factor in the end in, in that Tsitsipas couldn't keep going. Yeah, and we and I think Djokovic probably would have taken some solace over what happened between Hugo Gaston and Dominic Team. That team was just wrecked after that encounter with Gaston. He had to chase about 50 drop shots. But uh, what you said there, 20, 20 winners there or 20 points going to Djokovic from a drop shot. That's five, the equivalent of five games, Mark. Yep. So that, that when you when you look at that, City Pass won five games in the first two sets combined. That is how pivotal that number is. And and Djokovic was so good. And because that clay isn't bouncing as high, you've really got to get there. You've got to work hard, twice as hard and have twice the technique. And and I noticed that, that a lot of the players and a lot of the players towards the end of the tournament are already running with their rackets out, ready to hit that shot instead of running with their rackets in the hand. And I think that's helping them a lot. And Tsitsipas hit a couple of really good passing shots, but Novak was absolutely supreme. And uh, Joel, looking at looking at the result, does it surprise you that Tsitsipas did take it to five, or does it is it more the fifth set just was back to back to normality? Um, yeah, look, no, I'm not I'm not really surprised that Steph was able to get himself um, back into the match. I think we've sort of come to expect that from him now. Um, he's he's a little, I guess, a little temperamental in some respects, but um, when he's when he's up and going, he's uh, he's pretty hard to beat. And, and I mean, realistically, we, we've spoken a lot about how um, the conditions and, and the clay should should suit his game. Um, yeah, I think, and, and I guess we were talking a lot about how he really needed to um, try and shorten the points uh, as, as well and how that, that might... Uh, help Steph Djokovic won the line share of zero to four points uh, as well, 96 to 76. And uh, he was more effective um, at the net too. But look, um, you know, Steph himself said that um, he's not one of the next gen anymore. He's a, he's a big boy. Um, and, you know, we're, we're seeing that more and more. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, clearly um, he, you know, he, he gets it. And, and the fact that he was able to fight his way back in, um, I think really, really speaks to that too. Yeah, and I think he proved that he is a big boy, but not big enough because he wasn't able to go with Novak in that fifth set. And as we as we spoke about, he started to cramp and just feel really fatigued. But one thing I want to ask you, Mark, and it, it really, it does my head in because the amount of five-set tennis that players are expected to play, and we've got all these, like, we've got all these absolute morons in the media that are trying to um, say that five-set tennis isn't right anymore. We need to get it back to best of three. It's a load of crap. It is a load of crap. This is history. We do not need to change five-set tennis. It needs to stay as it is because this is a grand slam. You need to, this is, this should be the hardest tournament to win out of all of them. And that's why best of five sets is there because it is difficult to win. 
And then you've got, we used to have the Masters 1000 finals that used to go to five sets when they actually got to the final two. Roger and Rafa have had some classic encounters in, uh, in that format and in the best of five when the first five rounds were best of three. And also the ATP, uh, the ATP finals, the final there used to be best of five. None of that is best of five anymore. And the ITF has taken the liberty of cutting the Davis Cup out completely with no best of five set tennis. So what I'm asking, Mark, these older guys have been conditioned beautifully to play these best of five set epics, but the younger guys have absolutely no clue. And we saw back in the day, Roger Federer was trained by Tony Roach and to get that physicality where he could go in those marathon matches and it took him up another level, Roger. But you're looking at the young guys now, what are we doing? Like, how can we train for players to actually be able to go? Because Diego Schwartzman said last night that these guys, so, these guys are so impossible to beat over best of five sets. Well, they're not. You're just not conditioned enough. So that that's it's my gripe. It's like you're going in mentally unprepared. You've got to be ready to go. And like they are ready, I'm sure. But how can you continue this momentum? Because Daniel Medvedev did it at the U.S. Open last year the, in the final. Couldn't beat Rafa. Um, and Djokovic and Tsitsipas has done it to Djokovic in the semis of the Oz Open this year and couldn't beat him. It's a really good question and it's something that I think is probably very complex to answer. I guess the, the simple uh, part of it is that obviously Nadal, Federer and Djokovic have been around for 15 years. They have done 15 years of pre-seasons. They have played 15 years of Grand Slams. They have had the work put behind them. Now, when you're a young guy and you haven't got that work, it's very hard. It's, it's, you know, it's very hard to match physicality um, when you haven't had the time and the experience um, doing it. And that, that's, in a nutshell, where, where it sits. How do you train that? Well, it's hard. You need time. You need years of doing it. You need practice of doing it. You need, like, I've had players prepare for, for Grand Slams in the past where we've done sessions that would go for four or five hours and do one session a day as opposed to the general let's do two two-hour sessions broken up you know so it's about trying to get and simulate the time on court and that's the hardest part so it's not hot in France at the moment which is one blessing for the athletes but when you're preparing for an Australian Open we did sessions that were four or five hours long um, we would go straight where you had to keep I had to keep the players concentration for that five hours because it's not only physical, but once you become physically fatigued, you become mentally fatigued. So, and in training, it's very hard to have adrenaline. You can't simulate adrenaline. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them fatigued. Then they've got to learn to concentrate for longer periods of time. Um, the other thing that really does happen a lot in the five set matches is players, the younger players don't think about the nutritional side of it. If, if you don't eat for five hours, you're physically not fueled to play. Now, when you see Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, they consistently eat through matches. They've got their, their electrolytes. They've got their water. They've got their special drinks, whatever the hell they've got in, inside them. A lot of them are different. But it's the preparation around not just how much training you're doing, but what you're putting into your body and fueling your systems with to be able to last a long period of time. Some players sweat more than others. Do they compensate for that? Um, there's so many factors that come into not able to play the, the distance. And, you know, I've gone through that in the past where I've tried different preparations. We tried sessions where we do an hour of tennis, we do a 20 minute fitness block and then do another hour of tennis and 20 minute fitness block, another hour of tennis, 20 minutes and try to simulate that for five hours and try to get the player really fatigued. Now, it's great to do that once, but the hard thing in a grand slam is you have to do it five sets, seven matches to win the tournament. Now, 
you may not go to five every match, understandably, but you have to be prepared to go to five every match. You, you can't expect to go, hey, I'm going to win straight until I get to the final and play Novak or, or Rafa and play five. You've got to be prepared to play five. And, and as a coach, I need my athlete to be ready. And if they're not ready, that's my fault as well. Yeah. So I think that, that hopefully that answers your question, but I think it's a really good topic and something that these players need to take into account when they prepare for a slam. I think so as well. And it, look, can to keep the adrenaline going, I have, a, I have a great idea. Why don't you get a whip and just go, just absolutely hammer and tong. And then, and then you know what? They've got no excuse but to have adrenaline and try to run away from that whip and stay concentrated. Because um, if you make an error, good night. Um, like a horse race, man. Yeah, exactly. Just the coach, the coach is the jockey, the player is the horse. Um, that is that is probably so not PC right now, but um, um, yeah, no, look, it's 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 something that that has always frustrated me because I do prefer best of five set tennis, and obviously when it is a fizzer, it's not it's not great, but you know, like the. They're not conditioned enough. And I think for these Masters 1000 finals, especially if you've got to come up against a player like, say, a, say a Nadal, a Djokovic or whatever, and you've come from playing best of two sets and then all of a sudden you've got to play best of five, I think that gives you the great experience um, in, in those cities like Miami, like uh, Indian Wells, like Monte Carlo. I think it gives you great experience. It's amazing. And to be able to play those extra five set matches, players should relish that. That's their career. You know, if you don't want to do it, then, you know, you shouldn't be playing grand slams, but um, what do I know? I just sit in the media, Um, but Novak Djokovic through to the final, he will play Rafael Nadal for the 56th time in his career. And well, this was, this was brutal from the very get go, this one. And uh, Djokovic and Nadal, 6-3, 6-3, 7-6 over Diego Schwartzman. And it was, it was genuinely an unbelievable contest early on. And, and what Nadal was able to do, the first game itself went for 14 minutes. And Schwartzman had a couple of breakpoint opportunities. Nadal held and then broke Schwartzman immediately. And Schwartzman got, that, got the break back. But then Nadal was able to run away with it. And then the third set ended up going to a tie break. But um, three hours and nine minutes, very close to the average in what I said yesterday in three hours and 15 minutes. That's for three sets. That's averaging an hour and three minutes for three sets, which is just genuinely astonishing. But Rafa, just too good. Avengers the loss in Rome. Um, looking at him last night, he was, he was very, very solid. The backhand was just unbreakable. And the forehand, you know, a couple of areas here and there, but he was able to open Schwartzman up with it so brilliantly. Um, so, Joel, looking looking at that, I, th- I think both of us were messaging last night and just said, oh, my God, I think we both need to go to sleep. But um, it was – Schwartzman was ready for the fight, but Rafa was just more ready, I guess. Yeah, it, it looked like that. I mean, as you say, Val, the, the start of the match was something else, really. 14 minutes opening game. Uh, and then a couple of ebbs and flows from there. But yeah, felt as though it was one of those opening sets where, or, or a match where that opening set was was really, really important. And you just felt as though if it if it fell into, into Rafa's lap, then it was likely that he was probably going to go on from there uh, and and consolidate. But um, listening to the to the two players in their post-match press conferences, uh, Diego Schwartzman really pinpointed um, his backhand as, as what let him down. He, he, he said that he, he, was, um, he wasn't aggressive enough. Um, 
on the backhand wing. And we were talking a lot about how his error count would probably have to be high if he was going to beat Rafa. Well, it was high, but unfortunately for Diego, it was twice as high as his winner count, 24 and 48. So, um, yeah, you, you're probably not going to win too many matches with um, with a stat like that. Um, but, yeah, and then and then Rafa, for his part, he was talking about the, their meeting in Rome. And, of course, Diego Schwartzman won that match. Um, but Rafa really said he was able to utilise um, that match and go back to the drawing board um, and, and pick apart what he did well and, and what he didn't do so well. And, of course, the... the uh, the scenario was different. It was a lot warmer in Rome than it was in, in Paris. But um, yeah, Rafa was was clearly able to to identify the things that he needed to. Yeah, and he was. And, and I think the the first point of the match, I think, was was so poignant because Schwartzman had a shot or had a forehand which he was trying to run inside out of and really attack and gettable by anybody's standards on the tour. And he hit it straight into the net. And I think it was like, look, the intent is there, but you got to be making those against Rafa because he's going to punish you. And Nadal, 38 winners and only 34 unforced errors. And um, just his, his sheer dominance on that clay is, is amazing. And he's 13-0 in Roland Garros semifinals now, and he's never lost a Roland Garros final either. But um, this, one, this one is a much bigger test. But, Mark, you had some interesting stats on the Nadal-Schwartzman matchup as well. Um, so if you'd care to go into those and deep dive into those a little bit more. Yeah, I, I wanted to just go through this and touch on it a little bit because I felt like it was important to understand. So Nadal wins his matches via... Um, so Rafa wins his matches via the, the forehand. The forehand is his weapon, okay? So um, he was plus 16, which is your winners plus your forcing errors minus your unforced errors. He was plus 16 on the forehand. And he was only a minus two for his backhand. So we talk about the sword and the shield as coaches. Your sword is the one that's the one that's going to win you the point. It's going to be more offensive, more aggressive, um, and take to the opponent. Whereas the shield is the one that should be solid. So there should be an even base around your around your shield. So Nadal was very even. He hit twelve uh, winners and forcing errors, and he hit fourteen unforced errors. So he was a minus two, very very clean, very um, concise. His winner count on the forehand outweighed his unforced error count by a long way, and that to me show, shows the sword and the shield really well. Then you look on the flip side and you've got Diego Schwartzman and I feel like this is where it let him down. And as you said, Joel, and you touched on, he was minus 12 on the backhand. If your shield, if your solid part of your game is breaking down, you're in big trouble. You know, your, your shield needs to be the one that stays and keeps you in the rally. And his forehand was only a plus five. Just wasn't enough to hurt Nadal, as Joel was saying. He had to go bigger. He had to play more aggressive. And those stats to me really tell the tale of, of what happened in the match. And when you play a, a, against a player like Rafael Nadal, it, it, you need to be at your best. You need to be aggressive. You need to be taking the game away from him. You can't allow him to dictate you. And then that was the difference in the match. Yep. And Mark Da Vinci there with his absolute gold in his stats <laughs> and the, the drawings, this perfect circles. I love it. Um, but no, I do love that insight. And when, and yeah, Schwartzman's backhand is, is generally something that is so solid and um, and when you have the ability to go toe-to-toe, and, and I think this is him playing Nadal in a nutshell, he's able to go toe-to-toe in the sword and the shield reference with so many other players on tour. But when he takes on a Federer, when he takes on a Nadal, when he takes on a Djokovic, that's when he's exposed because they don't, because they're the ones that are able to overcome the challenges that he presents. Um, and also I think his serve is probably something that lacks. And last night he really tried to get a, a little bit of extra pop on it, but he, and look, he only hit three double faults, but 
two aces just doesn't it, like and and look he was hitting he hit first serves that i thought oh geez they look quick but 188 kilometers an hour and look it, his height's not going to help that but um and that's something he said during the week it's something a shot that he would steal on the atp website is the serve of john isner because he's small and he doesn't have a big one so um if he's if it like and and that's the thing it's not something that he can help but um, yeah, I think against a beast like Nadal, you, you're just going to come unstuck. But we obliterated our reputations yesterday. They are gone. They are un- <laughs> irreparable. Mark, maybe yours is okay. But my, mine is gone. Joel, you at least picked Djokovic, so yours is a little bit intact. But mine is just that far out of proportions now. So let's go with our picks anyway. Um, so uh, men's final, we'll, do, we'll go into a little bit more depth tomorrow as well, like we did sort of yesterday with the WT with the women's final, but just a quick pick for now, like a Tats Lotto, a quick pick, Mark. Yeah, I, I honestly, I'm that bad at this, this picking who's going to win. Um, it's, it's harder to pick than a clean nose at the moment. So um, <laughs> I, I think, um, I think I'm going to look, I'm hoping, it, I'm hoping it's Rafa. Um, I'm hoping it's Rafa. Uh, but um, I, I think Novak might have, his measure this year. I, I, I think that even though I don't think he played well, uh, he's at his peak against Tsitsipas for the entire match. I still think he's got something, but I really hope Rafa. So um, I'm sitting on the fence and I, and I you know, uh, Djokovic. Djokovic, Joel. Well, I said Rafa to win the tournament and then I backed against him against Diego and he gave me a good old fashioned kick up the bum. So I'm going to say Rafa. Yeah, I'm going to go with Rafa as well. Mainly... Mainly because I I think if he equals Roger, I still don't think he can be considered the GOAT because most of his slam titles have come at Roland Garros, whereas Roger has done it at three of the four and he's won a lot more titles. So yeah, they're head-to-head, but no one, that's fine. We don't worry about that. Um, Roger's got him on hard and grass and Nadal just dominates one surface. And I, I think that's why if we can keep Djokovic at bay, um, for for longer, I think that that's that's what we like. But um, that's my. You guys see that? I, I can hear a can of worms opening. <laughs> no, I'm, that's all. That's all. That's all <laughs> the Nolle fam is probably going to attack me. They are probably <laughs> going to attack me, but it's nothing. I'm not used to. I can handle myself. I'm a big boy. Um, I'm not. I'm not the next gen anymore, like Stefan Pass said. But the women's final tonight. This is something that we are very very excited about, and let's preview um, what we are going to expect. And Mark, well, you're the expert here, so Iga Swiatek, and she actually corrected everybody. It is Iga Swiatek. So we've had it right the entire tournament, apart from. Um, maybe probably the first couple of days where I may have mispronounced it, but um, what what are we what are we reckoning? What are we reckon? Mark, yeah, look, I, yesterday I, I, I said Kennan, and I, and I felt like the way Kennan's playing is really good. I listened to a few things that um, Eagle was talking about in her press conferences, saying that she's always said to people that she will, if she's going to win a Grand Slam, it will be the French Open. Um, she's got a lot of confidence in herself. She's for a young girl. She she oozes that. She hasn't been tested at all at the French Open. At, not one round has really tested her to to a limit. Um, I think the most she's lost in one set is three games, possibly. Um, could even be one one set that was four. But she's really not being tested at all at the at the French Open. And I feel it's because of her ability to to create width in the game, to have variety in the game. Um, she can penetrate the court when she needs to, but she can also have some plenty of feel and, and plenty of angles. So she, she definitely possesses the game to beat Sophia Cannon. Um, and that's one thing that I know Shane Leonard uh, touched on 
when he was on the show is that to beat Kennan, you've got to get her out of her strike zone. You've got to get her moving. Um, and I think Iga can do that. I picked Kennan yesterday, but I think over the last 24 hours, I've, uh, I've had a bit, little bit of sleep last night, which was really nice to actually get some for the first time in a few weeks. And I slept and it made me think about it. And I think Iga might just be slightly the favourite in this one now. I think you've been working too hard, mate, if you're dreaming about the French Open. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it does happen occasionally. It does. I think I've had a dream about the French Open over the last couple of weeks as well. So I think it just uh, encroaches into your subconscious. But I can't even – who did I say yesterday? Can you guys remember it all? I got no idea. Because I've got no clue. I can't remember who I said. Joel, you got any idea? Can't remember, mate. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go have to, have to go back and watch. And it's all brand new opinions today. Um, yeah, I probably should have uh, probably should remember that. But um, Joel, what's um, who, who do you think is going? And look, I, th- I think I know already um, yeah. with your answer because you said it. You went very very early. And um, are, are you sticking with um, with your Polish girl? Uh, yeah, I am. I think it's going to be really important early for Sophia Cannon if she's going to get on top because uh, Iga Swiatek is really trying to be the aggressor. So I kind of feel like if, if Sophia can rattle the cage early, that might be uh, her best way uh, through. Um, it'll be interesting as well. Um, Iga's been working with a, a sports psychologist and I had to listen to that on uh, Ben Rothenberg's podcast uh, yesterday. He was interviewing her um, and really um, she was uh, sort of explaining what she's done um, to help Iga's game. So I'm, I'm interested in that. And uh, if, if that does happen, if Sophia Cannon sort of gets up in her grill, how Iga will respond to that. Yep. And it'll be really interesting. I, I, look, I think I, I think I picked Iggy yesterday, I think. But I'm going to go with her mainly because she does pose that quirkiness that Kennan might not be used to. And look, she played her before, but that was four years ago in a junior grand, in a junior French Open. Um, but, and Kennan has gone on to do bigger and better things since then. But I just think on the clay, with and especially Mark talking about the angles that Iga Fiontek was able to produce um, and has been able to produce and the fact that she hasn't been tested um, I just think she might be able to get on top early and that might be it. And I don't think we're going to see um, Sophie Kennan's dad playing musical chairs in the, in the coach's <laughs> box today. But um, yeah, I, look, I, I'm really excited about the matchup because it is, and as we've, as we've seen with so many women's finals, it is the unknown. We don't, we, we genuinely don't know who is going to win. And I think that was with, when Serena was playing, we had a fair idea and it was a major upset when she'd lose. And especially like looking back to the 2016 Oz Open when Angie Kerber won it, you're looking back and you, and you don't forget, you, sorry, you forget how overriding or how much of a favorite Serena was here. We don't really have one and it's great. So I'm looking forward to seeing what is going to happen tonight. So we're going uh, Mark, Kennan, Val, Sviontek, and Joel Sviontek. So at least one of us is going to wake up a winner in the morning and um, hopefully with their reputation intact. But Mark Sapoulos, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Absolute pleasure, boys. Can't wait to see these two finals. I think both the men's and the women's will be cracking finals over the next two days. So looking forward to watching it. Very excited. And Mark Da Vinci there with his uh, with his expert drawing in the red pen on Zoom. And Joel Stone Cold Frucci. I forgot to introduce you <laughs> today, but um, in, in our meeting yesterday, he was labelled Stone Cold. And, um, or oh, Mark, Mark, I think Mark's going to... Yeah, I've got something for you. There's a little bit of music playing in the background. <laughs> little bit of music. Stone Cold Steve Austin coming down. That's, uh, that's Joel Frucci now. 
Joel, Stone Cold Fruity, thank you very much, mate. No, no worries, boys. Looking forward to being back tomorrow and basking in the gloriousness of uh, correctly predicting Igor Fiontek winning this one. <laughs> yeah, if you do, you know what? Actually, tomorrow we need to make a Mankini bet, and I will, I will do it if I'm wrong. But you guys need to do something as well. I'm not going the, I'm not going the only, only crow. Mark, don't make the joke about shaving your head. Um, but no it has been an absolute pleasure chatting tennis with you again remember you can head to the tennis menu.com for and subscribe to the annual package for just 99.90 us with over 600 tennis specific drills to make you a better tennis coach and remember you can follow us on social media at the tennis menu on twitter instagram and facebook we're on linkedin as well so follow us you'll catch all of our content on there george vogiatis doing some amazing work on instagram joel's doing wonders on twitter and then we've got our blogs and stuff going up as well so plenty to get through tonight we've got the women's final we're going to review that all tomorrow and preview the match number 57 between novak Djokovic and rafael nadal